Sean Bice. How are we today? I got to tell you something. <laughs> this is our 40th episode of Off Track with Carruthers and Bice. Hard to believe. And I, I know, and, and I know we, we decided this jointly that we were going to celebrate our 40th episode by ourselves. <laughs> we're not having a guest. It's going to be you and me. Talking about all things past. And we all have the candlelights virtually lit here in between us and we're looking lovingly in each other's eyes. <laughs> I'm slowly sipping champagne. <laughs> I have a cigar lit up and I'm wearing my, my smoking jacket. <laughs> oh, okay. So you get to be the guy in this. <laughs> I, am, I immediately went for that. Yeah. I'm going to claim that. Anyway. <laughs> In all seriousness, um, congrats on 40 shows. I mean, yeah, it, you it too. seem like we've done, we've done 39 of these things. It's kind of crazy when you think about it. So that, you know, we've had, uh, I think we've only done, this is probably our third show by ourselves. So if you think about it, we've had 36 guests, um, all from the Moto America paddock. Um, there's a lot more to get to and we'll get through to, you know, I think pretty soon we'll be like, we'll have like the janitor from New Jersey Motorsports <laughs> Park on as our guests and stuff. But um, we're not there yet. But we're well, getting there. It's funny because, you know, now you I know you've seen this, you know, we've talked about having a rider on and we get in touch with them. And, you know, if it's if it's during the day, like for us, during the day for them, they're, they're at their job. <laughs> some of them, some of them actually work for a living. So it's like, yeah, it's, it's funny. The two people we got hold of this week. So we're not entirely doing this by ourselves because out of choice, but, we, right. you know, we kind of. Uh, you know, we, the, the two guys we had in mind, both of us, both of them couldn't do it because like you said, they have jobs, which is nice to see in a way it's nice to see in a way I wish, you know, we'd gotten this thing to the point already where our guys didn't have to work, but you know, we're a ways down the road from that. And I think most privateers have, have, has, have always had to have some sort of a, of a job. So, um, yeah, but it, it was funny that, yeah, they both had the same response. It's like, oh man, I'd love to be on the podcast, but I got to work. <laughs> you, think, you think, you know, I, if if somebody asked me to be on their podcast, I think I could tell my boss, look, I, I got to go on this podcast. It's really important, but who knows, you know, they, I kind of felt that way too. I was like, we got big timed a little bit, but you know, I don't know. They both, uh, well, that's okay. <laughs> well, that's all right. Yeah. And they're making money with them. They're not going to make any talking to us. <laughs> well, you never know. I mean, it could turn into big things when somebody hears us, hears them on our podcast, you know, it's uh, it's just the start. That's of right. <laughs> the, the president of HRC is listening, and he decides to give one of them a factory ride on Marquez as Marquez's teammate. You never know. All from this podcast, completely based on the charm that they show on our podcast. Yeah, that's, that, right. that's right. They can put up with this. They can put up with anything. <laughs> um, hey, so I got to tell you, um, I you know I done did that story the other day uh, where we did an update. That it was your suggestion to do it, which was good. Um, to mention, you know, unfortunately, there's been been a couple of injuries to some riders. You know, Sam Lockoff had gotten hurt prior to Laguna, um, and we had heard about Jason Uribe and uh, um, wait, I'm losing my mind. Who's the other? Who's the other rider that got hurt? Oh, at Caleb. Oh yeah, Caleb DeCarroll. Yeah, yeah, terrible. Um, after what he did at Laguna and everything, and and I, you know, it's sad to hear that, but I mean, it's weird that. Caleb broke his femur, and that's what Lakoff did too. And um, Uribe sounds like it; his injuries might be not quite as bad as he originally said. But did you read the report on that where he said 
He said two bones flew out of his arm. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know what that's about. I, I don't. What these kids I are talked amazing. To, I talked to some. Go ahead. I was. I talked to sources close to the scene. Let's put it that way. Um, somebody that knew about the situation, and he said said he didn't think that was actually the case. But one of the EMT guys had said that to him or something. So I don't know. That's a bit odd. But I I saw Caleb like up and about on crutches. You know, at, I think a day or a day and a half after breaking his femur and terrible. Yeah. yeah heal up quick and they get back to what they were doing and it doesn't seem to phase them. If I broke my femur, I think I'd milk the hospital stay for two and a half months, you know? Yeah. You hear something like that, femur, that seems, you know, there, there are a lot of injuries that'll make me cringe, but that's one that definitely does every time. And, you know, I think about when Garrett did it that year at Daytona and it's ironic that Garrett and Caleb are good friends. So I guess Garrett was able to at least give him some advice on how to deal with a broken femur maybe, but um, crazy stuff. Yeah, I think, well, obviously, it's, I mean, it's the biggest bone in your body, but I think it, it's funny because it doesn't seem like it would be that way, but it, it actually, I think, heals pretty quick. And it, it's, it, it's, it's almost like you come back from something like that quicker than like a silly bone in your wrist or, or something, you know? So uh, I guess because it's, it's not a joint or something, right? It's not something that's a movable thing. So yeah, it's just a big um, old bone that they, I don't, I imagine they put a rod in his. I'm not sure, but yeah, it's a they shame. Did to see him get hurt because i mean it just seems like yesterday i remember seeing how happy he was on the podium and and celebrating with garrett and they both got those wins at the same time and it was kind of cool to see and then you know it just shows how quickly you can go the other way but um yeah they'll they'll be back and uh you know their kids kids get up and do it again so yeah well the reason i brought it up is i felt terrible afterwards i can't remember if you reminded me of it or it just popped in my head but i realized that you know braden Nort had gotten hurt at Laguna two in that crash that I think a lot of people saw. So I didn't mention his situation and I had seen him on the entry list and thought, well, you know, maybe he's going to be okay. So I gave him a call this afternoon and um, he was great. He answered the phone real quick and everything. And, you know, he's always so, such a cheerful Canadian. Um, it's always good to talk to him. And he, t he gave me an update because if anybody's seen the video, you know, you can see he, he crashed and he, he was unconscious for a little bit, but apparently the doctors told him, and I'm not talking about doctors at the track, um, he didn't understand why he'd, he'd lost consciousness because he didn't really get, he got a concussion, but it was a pretty mild one, they said. But they said sometimes when your body is traumatized um, by something like that, uh, a crash that hard, it will actually, to protect itself, you'll go unconscious, not necessarily because of hitting your head, um, which I'd never heard of before. But he said sometimes when you're in that much pain, you know, it'll, it'll happen. And he said, you know, what happened was he did get a mild concussion, but the bigger issue was um, his shoulder. And, you know, whether it's Eric Bostrom or Neil Hodgson or any of these guys that have shoulder injuries, it, uh, it's something that's really hard for a racer to deal with. But his news is pretty good. He, um, he said he didn't tear the rotator cuff. Uh, he didn't do anything to, I guess, what the labrum or any of that kind of stuff. He um, he mostly just kind of bruised the, the muscle a little bit. And I guess it's just a mild separation, um, which heck your, your quarterback, uh, Philip Rivers has a mild separation to his shoulder. I think every weekend, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> so. it seems like it. Mild separation of your shoulder. It's kind of like a slight groin pull. I'm not sure that any part of that sounds good still. 
Yeah, I don't I don't think it sounded too good and he's definitely in a lot of pain. That's a good point, but but he said he did talk to Dr. Rossi um before leaving the leaving Laguna and they I guess they the testing they did there was a they could see a couple things were, that were mildly showing there was a might have been a slight concussion, but he doesn't have an aversion to light or any of the issues that guys that get a, you know, an actual concussion or a severe concussion concussion have an issue with. So he he says he's good in that respect. He said he, you know the strength in the shoulder is a little little sketchy right now, but uh, he said you know he's definitely going to Laguna um, and going to give it a go. He has to see Rossi before Dr. Rossi on Friday um, before we start the weekend. But uh, but you know all good for him. And you know I felt so bad about it. And you know him, he was like, oh don't worry about it. It's all it's all fine. You know. And I said I guess I assumed you were okay, but. Um, but he's another one that, you know, it's it's part of our sport, obviously, to get these guys get injured. And I'm glad to hear that, you know, he's he's doing pretty a lot better than he was. So that's good. Yeah, he's Canadian. Yeah, I don't even Canadian. know if you're Canadian. How would you know you had a concussion? <laughs> well, most hockey players, most Canadians are hockey players or most hockey players are Canadian, whichever way you want to go. And you've seen some of the stuff they deal with, broken jaws, and they go, ah, oh, it's just a flesh wound, and they go out and, and play. In this. So you're right. I think the, the Calgary Stampeder, uh, Braden Nord, is probably going to be okay. He'll probably shake it off and, and race, no problem. So <laughs> Yeah, he'll be all right. Yeah. So won't be long. We'll be up at Sonoma. Which for you, are you are you driving up there? Are you flying? What's the plan? No, I'm gonna fly. It's a quick jaunt up to uh, to Oakland and then across the bridge. So it's actually I can get going Friday morning early and and still get there early. So it's it's one of those nice ones for me. Yeah, um, and two day weekend, which for us is a little bit more like a three day weekend when we're set help. You know, when the teams are setting up and we're usually doing a lot of preliminary stuff on that day, but. Um, boy, those things are fast and furious, those those two-day events. And we've got a lot of stuff going on at Sonoma, too. So it's going to be doubly exciting when we get there, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I kind of like the two-day. It, um, You know, like you said, it's busy. But I think we're busy anyway. It just kind of shortens it by day and compacts it a little more. But the days sure do go by fast. I mean, it seems like you're getting there and having some coffee. And next thing you know, you're you know trying to finish a press release and, and, and leave the facility. But um yeah, we've got a lot of stuff going on for Sonoma, and obviously our our championships are are all still very close. Um, and shoot, I mean that you know, as you'd hate to see somebody's like you'd hate to predict that somebody's unbeatable somewhere. But Cameron Bobier has certainly proven to be unbeaten so far at, at at Sonoma Raceway. I mean, we've had four Moto America Superbike races there, and he's won all of them. And not only has he won all of them, but he's you know, in 2017, um, he beat Tony Elias by 6.4 in the first race and 7.2 in the second race. Last year, he beat Josh Heron by 7.2 in the first race and Tony by 6.5 in the second race. So, I mean, the, the quick math off the top of my head is he's won every single race by an average of, of over six seconds there. And I mean, you know, for our series, that's that's a big yawning gap because I'm, we're used to just having such close races. And honestly, I got the feeling, I got the feeling last year that those guys were showing up thinking they were racing for second place, which is if you're Cameron, that's a pretty good thing for them to be thinking. Um, and so it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, they're going to say they're not, but it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, in, in those guys in the back of their mind, they go in there a little bit defeated just based on how, how truly dominant he's been there the last two seasons. 
Well, it's amazing. Psychology has so much to do with it. The thing I can never understand, and it's almost in any sport, but but certainly you see it in our sport a lot, is is I don't know that Cameron has that many more laps at Sonoma Raceway than really anybody else um, in that series. I mean, maybe some of the local guys like Wyatt Ferris and stuff, but, you know, my, I just, I never understand why a rider who considers it his home track just because of a fairly close proximity to home does so much better. And that, you know, well, I shouldn't say that. I, I shouldn't say Cameron does so much better, but to your point, his dominance at that track and it's his local track. And the thing that's weird about it is, you know, it's not it's it's not like he's trying any harder than he normally does. He always tries hard. Why do you think it is that, that riders do better at tracks that are closer to home? Well, I think in his case, um, I think in his case, he would do he would do exactly the same at Sonoma if you pick Sonoma up and moved it to New Jersey. Um, oh, I, okay. I just, I honestly, I don't think. I mean, I think there's an excitement level that you probably don't get you know, by going to a Pittsburgh, if you're from California, or by going to California, if you're from Pittsburgh. I mean, I think just racing, you know, he has a lot of family and a lot of friends go there. So, I mean, it's obviously a little more motivation for him, but I, I don't think at this level, those guys go into any race unmotivated. I just right. think, I just think it's a track that suits him really well. Um, I think it suits his bike really well. And I think now he's gotten to the point with those four dominant victories that that those guys start second guessing, maybe start second guessing their ability to win there, which in turn only makes it easier for him. And as as he, the more he wins there, the more confidence he gains, and the more he wins there, the more confidence they lose. So it just kind of it's kind of snowballs itself into into what it's become. But I mean, if if he if he really needs to go out and win two races there to get this championship back to the point where he feels like he's he's scratching away at that lead and getting back into it. He's, he's 39 points behind. Um, right. But, you know, even if Tony has, you know, if Cameron has the best weekend he could have and Tony has the best weekend he could have and they finish first and second, I mean, you, you gain 10 points and that would put him 29 points behind. So, I mean, you start to, you start to feel a little momentum, which is, which is what uh, Cameron started to gain, you know, at the end of, towards the end of last season. Although I don't think he was this far behind. Actually, no. he was already probably ahead at this point um, because he had a good run. He had a better run at Road America and a better run exactly. than what he had this year. So it's um, and Laguna, obviously. Um, actually, Laguna, I think Utah was after Sonoma last year, wasn't it? Was yeah, it well, they flipped it this, the, yeah. from last year to this year. Yes. So anyway, he 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 his momentum started a little earlier. But I mean, if he if he's going to get back into this thing, I mean, he you know Sonoma is a must win for him. But the the good thing from his standpoint is that now, um, you know, the series is so competitive that, you know, t Tony doesn't necessarily get second in both these races if, if Cameron does indeed win, because there's guys that can, that could, you know, they could push, you know, they could push Tony down to third, fourth or fifth or whatever. And, and that would allow the points gap to get even closer. But I mean, we obviously shouldn't sit here and, and make it a foregone conclusion that Cameron's going to win because that's, if that was the case, we wouldn't need to go. We could just fill in the points thing now and stay home. But crazy things happen, so you never know. But I, I would think going in there, you know, like I said, he's got to be full of confidence, and those guys got to have a little bit of doubt in their mind and could work out well for him. Yeah, and I mean, it's going to be interesting because, like you said last year, you know, it was a little bit – it was the turning point at Road America, and now, now we've gone a little further into the season with Cameron. But then you have this other factor with, you know – 
Garrett Gerloff got his first win, which we all expected was going to happen. And you know how that goes, Paul. You know as well as anybody that when somebody gets that first win, it sort of opens the floodgates sometimes. So, you know, uh, we'll have to see what what Garrett brings to the table at Sonoma too. Yeah, I think um, he probably wishes we had a race the next weekend after Laguna because, you know, I'm sure he would, he would like to keep that keep that momentum going. But, yeah, he's a guy now that I think once you win one of these, um, you know, it puts you into that kind of elite category where where I would think people would start to think about you serious, more seriously and, and more seriously at every race they go to. So I think, you know, I, I think those guys were already looking at Garrett as a guy that was going to or eventually going to win one of these. And now that he's won one, it, I did, it didn't surprise any of them. But I know that they they know that he's here now to stay. I mean, he's not I, he's not just going to be a a one race wonder, so to speak. Um, and that win at Laguna that he had was, was pretty damn awesome. I mean, he, he did everything yeah. exactly right and he kept his head about him and you could tell he was just on it every single lap. He was focused. He was well concentrated. He didn't make any mistakes and it turned into what it did. I got a chance to spend some time with him <clears throat> last week. We went down and, uh, and did some video work with, uh, with, um, Josh Hayes's his, his camp down there at his home in Oceanside and Garrett was there of course and we rode bicycles and those guys did supermoto and they were riding dirt track and all kinds of stuff at that camp so he's uh he, he he you know he's always he's always seemed confident to me like he doesn't he it's not like he's different now that he's won that race but you can tell he's you know he's he's kind of taken it up a little notch and and I think he he now he believes he belongs there so it'll only help him yeah, the mental game is a pretty big deal with with Garrett. Just you know, from uh, as well as I know him from having worked on that team for a while. You know, he's he he he's very very friendly to fans and a real personable guy. But at the same time, he's pretty thoughtful, I guess, and he has a bit of a quiet confidence to him that I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's an arrogance. But I even remember at times Josh Hayes would say, I can't really figure him out. And it's kind of interesting that Josh is his coach now. Um, I think maybe Josh has possibly figured him out finally or something. But, you know, he's definitely a different a different guy. I, I, I like I like the way he is. I like his personality. Um, but yeah, I wondered, it's interesting you'd say that cause I wondered you've seen him since after that win. Um, well today's his birthday. In fact, uh, he's 24 today. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I figured it's going to, it would do something. It certainly got that monkey off his back that the way he felt when, when JD got that win before him, but now, you know, they're on equal ground from that perspective too, again. So, um, that, that's going to help him a lot. Yeah. And watching him on that supermoto bike. I mean, there was times when I was actually like, God, I wish you would just take it easy a little bit, you know? Um, you know what's it, funny about that, Paul? Me. Yeah. I'm Sorry, I was just going to tell you, Cameron Bobier told me a long time ago, you know, there was a time when Garrett spent, lived with Cameron for a few, this was a few years ago. It was back, I think, when they were both riding 600s, but... Cameron used to say they would go to the moto track or they'd do something and Garrett would just go like, like his hair was on fire right from the beginning and just like being completely on the edge all the time. And Cameron used to kind of worry about him thinking like he was going to go crazy. So you, you saw that when you were down there then, huh? Yeah, I think he's just, I think he's ultra competitive to the point where he, he just doesn't want anybody to be better at, at whatever they're doing that day. and. I could kind of see it in him 
Cameron Peterson's really good at that. I mean, if you you spend a couple of days with those guys doing the things that they were doing, and you can see that Cameron Peterson's a huge talent on a motorcycle. Um, and it, it, you know, I got to thinking about that too. When I was driving home, I'm like, it's funny how things work out because this guy watching him ride a motorcycle, whether it was on the dirt track or whether it was the supermoto, and and listening to those other guys talk about their experience, he, he's really, really talented at, at all that stuff. And you just wonder, like, you know, it, it just come, you know, did he not get the right brakes? Was he not on the right team? Would things have been different? You know, it's all these ifs and ifs and ifs. But it, it, it was funny to see, you know, that you could tell it was bothering Garrett a little bit when Cameron was faster because they were doing lap times. I mean, that's part of the deal that Hayes wants him to do is Hayes likes that competitive thing. And he wants to see him push each other. But there was, a, there was a time towards the end of the day when I was like, oh, man, I'm glad I'm getting out of here because I can't watch this anymore because I don't want to make that phone call <laughs> to Keith McCarty, you know, when somebody breaks a collarbone <laughs> or whatever. But he just rides so hard. But he's, he's just, you can tell he's full of confidence feels like he can do no wrong and you know good on him that's what that's what's going to make him successful is is the fact that he you know you don't he doesn't want to be slower than somebody and that's what ultimately makes you faster than them so it was cool you know one the thing i was going to ask you the one thing i really wanted to find out is um that so they played tennis i know josh plays a lot of tennis and he has a club so tell tell us about that so who's the best tennis player among them and are some of them like really bad no, we didn't get to stay for the tennis. Um, okay. we, got, we got out of there uh, prior to the tennis and after the bike ride. But um, I, I've, I've hit the ball with Josh before, and he's very good. Um, yeah. I don't know that the other guys had much experience. And looking at some of the video stuff, it didn't look like they did. So right. I, I think the next best guy after Josh, it would have just, you know, it, it would have been like being the tallest small person. <laughs> or however you want to say it it's politically <laughs> correct but um so yeah i don't i i don't i don't think any of them were, were going to be setting the world on fire but but josh certainly can play and i, I think they played i don't think i think the camp kind of ended and they went out and played golf you know when some of them had already gone home it looked like i saw that yesterday so they, they looked like they were having a, a wonderful you could tell they were totally exhausted i mean these guys were, you know, they'd get up every morning and they'd ride and ride their bicycles and then they'd come back and then they're riding motorcycles. And, you know, I, you could tell they were struggling. I got down there pretty early, like at eight, eight o'clock in the morning. And it was a struggle getting everybody out of the house to get on the bicycle. And, <laughs> but what's, so. what's Josh like when he coach, when he teaches him or coaches him, does he crack the whip a lot or are these guys pretty self-motivated? Um, I think he, I, from watching him, which I think is the way you need to do it. He, he handles them individually different, differently because that's how, that's how it is. Like you can tell he, he talks to Bobby Fong differently than he talks to Garrett and differently different than he talks to Cameron, uh, Cameron Peterson, you know, because everybody does things a little different, but he, he's by no means easy on them. Um, you know, one of them was saying, you know, hey, is it, you know, would it be cool if I go um, and just hang out with my girlfriend tonight and I'll meet you guys at the thing and blah, blah, blah. And I could tell Josh was like bothered by it. And he kind of gave him the, he kind of gave him the fatherly thing like, hey, you know what? You're a big boy. You do what you want. Whereas if I'm on the end of that thing, I'm like, God damn it. I can't go see with my girlfriend. I got to stay with this guy because he's making me feel really bad. <laughs> So it's just a, you know, everybody has a different way. It's, it's honestly, if I are down there, it's just like him and Melissa, I feel bad for Melissa because she's literally pulling her hair out because you can imagine all those guys in her house 
some of them are staying up in the RV. She's got, you know, the, the her son's running around like a crazy man, which a crazy boy, which she, he, you know, he, he's he's that age where they're just out of control. So she's yeah. just trying to deal with so many different things, and you could tell it bothered her because her house looks like a tornado went through it um, <laughs> between the between the kid and the other boys that she was she had adopted for the two weeks. But um, yeah, if you can, it just it just looks like their their parents to a bunch of. Uh, teenagers and and it you know it all comes down to the fact that they're having a good time and they enjoy it but i'm sure it gets frustrating at times yeah i would think um so another i want to switch gears back to superbike a little bit a couple riders i was thinking about um among all of them you know you you think with sonoma you wonder like hey is, is josh heron what's he going to be like and and you know matthew skoltz is another one you know josh josh has had a couple wins but he's been quiet lately um, and Skoltzy is funny cause I mean, I, I'm not th trying to throw him under the bus at all on this, but I know last year he kind of felt like I need the electronics. I need that Magneti Morelli system. Once I have that, it's going to be the missing piece. And so they not only got it, but they, they hired Herschel Auxier, or however you pronounce his last name, um, who's, you know, been in the paddock a long time as their data guy. So they did the right thing to get the right uh equipment and the right person to read it and you know manipulate it so matthew has that now but you know the season has gone fairly well for him but it hasn't gone as well as it has before so i'm kind of wondering you know i keep wondering when when he's going to break through um and and then back to heron same thing what, what do you think about those guys going into sonoma it seems like now's the time right a little bit yeah it's funny i i i watch I watch Matthew and there's times when, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's one of those things where like it kind of breaks your heart a little bit when he falls down yeah. in a race because you see what it does to him because I know he cares deeply about that team and everybody who's on it. And I know he instantly is like, oh shit, I'm letting so many people down. What have I done? I've crashed again. And then I think what happens to him for the next, race and it's perfectly understandable because it would be human nature to do so but i think in that next race he's very careful like yeah. he, he doesn't want to do it twice in a row and he doesn't do it twice in a row if he crashes in race one he doesn't crash in race two and vice versa um obviously if he crashes in race two we go somewhere else for race one but i think he i think he just and and then i think what happens is so he's he ends up riding like defensively within himself, trying not to crash. And of course his results aren't as good because that's not Matthew being Matthew. But right. I think he tends, he tends to do that because he probably feels like he has to. And, and it's not a bad idea. I mean, obviously you don't want to give that team two non-results in one weekend. I mean, that's, that deflates everybody. So I think he, he, he tends to be a little careful after he crashes. I think if he can, if he, if he gets back to having, if he gets his confidence back completely and he has two good races at, um, at, at Sonoma, I mean, those two good races, he'll, he'll race in the top five again, back where he, where he's used to being and, and things will, and things will turn. He just needs to have, I think a solid weekend of really good results where he feels comfortable and gets his confidence back. And then I think he's on his way again, but I just don't want to see him, you know, if he has another trip up or something, then it, it sets him, it keep, it sets him back a little bit because he doesn't want to do it twice in a row. Um, Aaron, hey, you know, you were, you were talking about Hayes a little bit. And I mean, I just want to jump in and say, you know, one of the things we both know about Hayes is 
you know, he was he was kind of raced before the era of electronics. And, you know, when Josh first went to race with Yamaha, he was pretty lost on the bike. It was quite different for him. And it took him a while to figure things out. Um, and uh, I think I just wonder with those guys, if they get somewhat lost in the minutia, you know, they 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 go in and they look at the electronics. I wonder if at some point they're just going, they just would say, just ride it. You know, they're, you know what I'm saying? It's like, are they trying to find a solution to what Matthew's doing or should Matthew just not think there's a setting that needs to be done and just go out and, and ride it? What do you think? Well, I think that there's a lot of truth to that. I think there's a lot of guys that do better. I think that's why you see there's some guys that can do, that do so well in super sport and they never make that successful jump to Superbike. And I think at, at some point when they were doing well on that super sport bike, all they were doing was going out and riding the shit out of it. And then they get onto a bike where there's a lot of stuff to change and there's electronics, this and the electronics, that, and a, you know, maybe a bigger crew and more guys. And it just, it just, sometimes I think they get lost a bit and they, they move away from just actually going out and riding the bike, um, in the way that they know how. And then, and then sometimes you see, they'll have like a, you know, they just get stuck for a while, but then, you know, the, the really good guys, you know, come out of that and the really, really good guys might not ever have the issue. I mean, they jump on a super bike and they're good to go, but, um, but, but like Heron, for example, I mean, he's, I don't know what his, his issues are and, 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 you know, I can't speak for him and, but I think if you look at his season, the way that it's kind of up and down, um, I mean, I don't, I don't know if he's having, I don't know if he's having struggles with the bike. I mean, it's funny because he, you know, when, when he doesn't struggle, he's, he's won. I mean, he's, he, you know, mm -hmm. if he's on the podium, it's usually the top step. I, I still don't, he hasn't been on the podium yet when he hasn't won a race, which kind of right. shows you the inconsistency that he's, that he's had so far. But, you know, he's a guy that, you know, he very easily could suck it up and do something special at any race we go to, including Sonoma next weekend. I mean, he got second and third there last year. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. It's, it, you know, a lot of this stuff with these guys, I think they get to this level and, and it, a lot of it turns into a mental, a mental game of, and a game of confidence and, and what have you. So we'll, we'll see, you know, JD's going there. I, I'm sure he's not beat up anymore, but I mean, he left Laguna Seca pretty beat up when I saw him on the Sunday, you know, his knees were banged up and you could just tell he was just whooped and worn out it, not necessarily worn out because I, I think he's physically so strong that he probably wasn't worn out but i think he was just kind of mentally drained and also his, he physically he got some damage when he when he got taken out up there at the top of the corkscrew so um yeah it was pretty fortuitous for him to get that little bit of break uh, in the aft schedule too that they had a couple weeks off and he's going to be at the buffalo chip this weekend so you know that maybe that'll be good for him to get back in the swing of things there and then then come to sonoma refreshed or something but it was good timing for that break yeah he definitely needed the break and now he's got i mean he's got a really hectic week i don't know if you saw it but that the dirt tracks are actually monday and tuesday i think so it's crazy so yeah you know and then and then obviously he's going to be done there and on a plane to uh to san francisco so he's He's had a break, but then all of a sudden that break not only ends, it doesn't end normally for him, it like doubles up. So he's going to be a busy boy. But, you know, with him, it's like he thrives on that. You know, he, he the days that he's not racing, he's riding. And I mean, that you, you know, that's all he wants to do. So it's not, I'm, I'm sure he's, he, he sounded like he was actually looking forward to this little grind here because he, he likes racing the motorcycle so much. 
<laughs> he does like that. That. What about? Uh, did you? Hey, did, when you were down in uh, Oceanside with Josh, did did you see? Did Gagne stop by at all? No, Gagne didn't stop by. Um, I think they were going to. I was there last on Friday. On Saturday, it sounded like they were going to kind of have a fun day where they were going to do some surfing and some jet skiing. And it sounded like Gagne was going to meet them. I think they were going to go to La Jolla at Scripps there and, and surf. And I think most of them hadn't surfed before. So I think Gagne was going to go there and, and be a little <clears throat> surf instructor. So I don't know if that happened or not, but um, he wasn't there when I was there. Have to see how he'll do it, Sonoma. I mean, he, he seem, it seems like he's getting better and better, not only acclimated to the bike, but better with his leg and all that kind of stuff. And I'm hoping for, you know, better things from him as the season goes on. Yeah, he's, uh, you can tell he just watching him walk around the paddock now. It's, it's not like before it was kind of painful even to see him and watch him walk, but it was, that's got yeah. stronger and it, I'm sure it only got stronger over the break. So yeah, he's another guy that can, that can do well at, uh, at Sonoma, it's going to be interesting to see what Kyle Wyman's wrist is like. I mean, the wrist is such a tricky thing. And, um, you know, fortunately, I think it's his left, so it's not as bad as if it's his right. But those things can kind of last for a bit. But he's got a – he's that's a kid that's going to have a big weekend because we've got a lot of Ducati support going there, and they're doing some hospitality, and, and they're going to have Ducati pass holders get special um, Q&As with him and, and the CEO – and they're going to have uh, Ducati rides and, and uh, Q&A with Kyle. And Kyle's going to be showing him around the paddock and stuff. So he's, he's going to have a, a, a good weekend as far as that's going to keep him even more busy than he is. But he's, again, much like, uh, much like JD really enjoys the riding part of it. Not that Kyle doesn't enjoy the riding part because he does. But he also really enjoys that, in, you know, mingling with the fans and, and uh and talking about the sport and talking about his team and things like that so he'll have a good weekend as well yeah he's so good at it it's, it's so cool that he's got the you know the connection with ducati north america and and has you know that brand is activating that brand there and doing some stuff with him you know it's nice to see i mean it bodes well for us too that you know maybe ducati is gonna gonna do something with that i mean the best of all worlds at some point would be obviously if ducati got back involved and you know kyle was either a rider or team owner or manager of the team or something like that in the next couple of years it, i'm sure that he's that's something he's thinking about and i sure hope it happens so you know good on him to have that that stuff and for us to have ducati at sonoma it's a great brand no doubt yeah and i mean again the guy the guy near the guy at the top is the one that we haven't talked too much about and that's tony and I mean, if I, you know, I, look, looking at his season, it's like, oh my God, this guy just does not, he just doesn't falter ever. At Laguna Seca, I mean, it was like, you know, it was, uh, I could, watching that race, I could see that Cameron was really frustrated with the way that was turning out because I think Cameron had a lot more speed. Well, I'm not going to say a lot, but I think he had speed on Tony. He had pace on Tony. But the way Tony was riding and the way that the Suzuki works, it allows him to be a little <clears throat> defensive. And uh, I could tell that was frustrating Cameron because, you know, Garrett was able to get by Tony and you could see what, what, um, what Garrett could do. And I'm sure Cameron probably believed that he could have done the same thing if he would have gotten by him. But he just, you know, those two just, they always seem to be together at the end of a race. 
whether it's second and third or first and second or third and fourth or whatever, those two always seem like they take their battles right down to the very end. And then, you know, unfortunately for those two in this race, Garrett was long gone at the front, but yeah, he's uh Tony's, I mean, he's, he just, he doesn't give up. I mean, we, you, I, I, we've been in the media center before when we've watched races. I think I can't remember which race it was at Utah when, you know, he's sixth or something and you're thinking, Oh my God, something's wrong with him. He's having a bad day. And he's that yeah. finish. And next thing you know, he's racing for the lead and, and wins. I mean, he just, I don't know what it is about the other thing. You know, I, if I was those guys, I'd be so frustrated. You know, I, I don't, I don't know about lap 15. I'd start ghost riding my bike into him or something, but probably wouldn't work out very well for both of us. But, um, the other thing that's going on with him is what is the deal the past couple races with the traffic cop uh, hand signals? And it's like he's trying to direct direct everything with his hands instead of his throttle or something or his his uh you know his bike. And I talked to Garrett Gerloff about it, and Garrett couldn't even figure out what was going on with him either. So is that weird or what? Yeah, I don't I don't know what it is with with Tony. I mean, like for like there's not a there's not a nicer more gentlemanly oh, guy yeah. in our paddock than him. And honestly, I can call that guy. I can text him. I can ask him to do anything and he'll do it. And he does it with a good attitude and he's always helpful and he loves Moto America and he loves America. But damn, when that guy's on the racetrack, I don't know. He's, it's funny because he's so unpredictable, but yet his results are so predictable. It doesn't seem to match up sometimes. Um, you know, he, he makes mistakes, but he comes back from them. He rarely makes a mistake that, that he doesn't come back from. I mean, okay, he's had one DNF this year, and, and he obviously screwed up in the last corner at, uh, at Road America. But other than that, whatever mistakes he makes during the race, he certainly recovers from it because the rest of the time he's, he's been on the podium, and most of those have been first and second. So he, he, definitely, um, he definitely knows what he's doing. It's just... It's, it just seems like it's two different personalities. The one on the racetrack, I'm not real familiar with, but the, the, one, the yeah. one in the paddock is just, you know, a sweetheart. But I think the sweetheart, when he flips the Pfizer down, I think sweetheart isn't the word anymore that would best describe him. Well, it's like when we did the podcast with him and you, I think you ask him something about, you know, second place or whatever. And he's like, basically, he doesn't even acknowledge second place. It's, you know, win racer. Win racer, win it or bin it, I guess. I mean, with him, um, he's uh, he's got a huge drive to succeed. There's no doubt about that. But, um, I mean, it's great. It's great that all these guys, you know, th this is the thing, Paul. And, you know, we see this a lot. We see people talk about the grids from before and, you know, all that. And, I mean, you think about the time when Maladin was racing or Ben Spies was racing and – you know, they would win by a mile and they'd win every race and win the championships. And it's like, okay, the, 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 there were a lot of riders on track, but you know, the, the, the races were not quite as exciting. We may have fewer riders on the track, but we have six or seven of them in a pack and all through the race. And you really don't know who's going to win it. You just don't. And I, I don't know. I don't, I don't quite understand why people make the commentary about the size of the grid when only one rider can win and only a certain number of riders can be in it, you know, at the end to be in for the win. So I, I don't really understand it. Do you? No, I think it's, I honestly, it's a crock of bullshit because um, yeah. I've been there for 30 years or whatever it's been, you yeah. know, and 
and yeah, there were some years that were outstanding and there were some years that were horrible. And our, our series right now, if you placed it back in 1993 or pick a year back then, it, it, people would be losing their minds over our series because our series honestly is better than it's ever been. Um, yeah, you know what? There was fantastic races with Matt Maladden and Ben Spees, and we had Jamie Hacking. We had a lot of good riders, but you know, my memories failed me a lot. But my memory doesn't recall too many seasons when we when there was more than two, maybe three guys that were capable of winning races, and that's no longer the case. I mean, there's a lot of guys right. that are capable. Like you said, the you know the grid. <clears throat> sure, we, we would like 28 guys on the grid. Oh yeah, we'd love it. But you know what? We don't have that. So I think we should focus on what's positive right now. And what's positive is the quality of the grid that we do have. And there's been times when there's been a much bigger grid of less quality. So, you know, I, you know, I get tired of hearing about the good old days and this and that. And I probably do it myself a little bit. And I try not to because I know how it annoys me because everybody always thinks it was better then than it is now. And everything was better than it is now. And most of the time, that's actually not the case. You know, if things were better then than they are now, then give me, I certainly don't want my typewriter back. You know what I mean? I certainly don't, <laughs> I certainly don't want to, to do things the way we used to do them because the th the way things get done now is better. Yeah. It, you end up doing a lot more, but you do a lot more because you actually can. Um, and it's, it gets better. It just honestly, you know, not everything gets better, but I, I think most things in life get better as time goes on because of technology and, and things that change. And I, I would put our series up against, against any series at this point in time, at least with the, the quality at the, the top of the field. And it, like you said, it's six, seven, eight guys. So. Yeah. Every, every race weekend, you, you don't know. I mean, it's exciting to watch and it's, it's really like that, you know, in all the classes, even, even with, you know, you think about junior, like O'Malley junior cup with, with Rocco, I mean, you know, it's still a battle between him and he and Dallas and, you know, Kevin Almeida. Um, but the other classes, I mean, there's a huge, huge battle going on in super sport, you know, stock 1000, same way twins. I mean, twins is like that too. You know, all of our series, nobody's walking away from it. And it seems like a lot of those top guys, you know, have a, have a chance to win it. And, and um, it, it's just amazing that it's from top to bottom in every class. It's kind of like that. Yeah. And I mean, you know, one of the things that was obviously better back then was the amount of money and the amount of factory rides and things like that. So, you know, the, the more factories that are involved, obviously the guys make more money because there's, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's options for them to go somewhere else and make more money. Um, you know, and, and would I, I would love to have all of our guys show up in 40 foot motorhomes again. Um, yeah, I would love all of them to be able to make much so much money that <clears throat> when we called somebody to do a podcast that they didn't have a job. But I right. mean, that's just the sign of the times, and 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 what it's and, and it also shows that the how hard our guys race. True racers are going to race that hard, whether they're making fifty cents or ten bucks. You know what I mean? So it's true. So, yeah, you know, I I think. I think sometimes we just all need to sit back and 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 be a little bit more positive about things and and kind of look at them for what they are now instead of comparing to uh, to a time that was before because it's you know it's it's apples and oranges that things are different now and people things are different in the industry and we're not selling a zillion street bikes and the manufacturers aren't just rolling in money like they used to be so things have been cut back but 
if you look at all that stuff and then still realize what we have, um, we're actually pretty fortunate because the show is a good one. Yeah. And, you know, I do love the fact, I, in fact, I wrote a story about this earlier this week about the fact that you had, you know, we've got a couple riders that are, well, a new, we've got a new rider coming in at Sonoma. Um, Junior Cup has always has a couple riders entering the game. And, you know, I kind of went through the entry lists and I was looking at riders that we've had that are Junior Cup or RC Cup riders who have, who have moved up, you know, Benjamin Smith and, um, uh, you know, uh, Drake Beecham, um, Corey Ventura in Supersport. And this idea of our series having an entry-level class for younger riders that they can advance through, we're starting to see in our fifth year here, we're starting to see the realization of that happening. And I mean, I guess that happened a little bit. You, I remember back when, you know, Eric Bostrom raced twin sports and Ben did too, and they moved up through in their way as well. Um, but it seems like we've got a more uh, more of a system, I guess, than we've ever had in America before. And I, th I think it's, it's a, one of the great aspects of Moto America, don't you? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it was, it's part of the grand plan that, that Wayne and Chuck and, and Terry and Richard had was to have something where these guys could progress through the system. And I think, you know, anytime you have like a ladder system where guys can see that, that what they need to do to get to the next rung and then the next rung after that, I think that's the way it should be. But I caution you have to keep climbing the ladder for it to actually work. You know what I mean? It's like, I, right. so in, in, in a way, sometimes these guys move up a class and you see them struggle, but I'd rather see them move up a class and struggle than stay where they were and be dominant, but not really get any better. Like I, I, I had this conversation with Corey Ventura because he's like, he's funny we were riding bicycles next to each other and he's like gosh i really miss being like one of the fast guys and being in your press conferences and having people <laughs> actually talk to me and and stuff i mean there's a kid that you know went from being you know on the podium every weekend and always in the press conferences and and always being part of the story to being a you know a mid-pack super sport guy and and it would be difficult because you you get used to one thing and then all of a sudden you're not getting it anymore. You know, you're getting the good candy and then all of a sudden the candy's gone. So, you know, I was telling him like, it's like, yeah, that, that's just the way that it works. I mean, you, 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 you kind of have to start over a little bit in this new class, but you have to work hard and, and, and do your business. And then pretty soon you're in another press conference, you know, talking to more people. So. I can see where it would be difficult to, to, to make that move because of that sort of pressure that you would feel, but it's also the only way that you're going to get to the top is by keep moving forward. So, Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was talking to Benjamin Smith earlier today, and I'd, I'd asked him, you know, what is it that you like most about being in Supersport? And obviously, he, he's a former champion in the RC Cup Series for us and moved up. And he said exactly the similar situation to what, why Corey Ventura is involved in Supersport this year. He said, I see those guys up in front of me and it's just a, it's a carrot. I just, I just am trying so hard to get up with them and it just gives me something to fight for and shoot for. And, and I was telling him, I said, yeah, you know, Corey's the same way. And it's funny, I know last year with Alex Duma, you know, he kind of wanted to have another year in Junior Cup, but because of the, the rules really couldn't. And I mean, I think it's fantastic that he's, you know, he's won a race and, you know, I, I think 
almost if it weren't for Caleb DeCarroll at, at Laguna, he he might have won there too. And and I know talking to David Swartz from Road Racing World, he had said, you know, watch what happens now. And I'm really anxious to see what happens with Alex Dumas now that he's sort of kind of had that breakthrough like like Garrett did in Superbike. And, you know, like we said, going on to uh, win things. But I, I wonder now, I, I'll have to ask Alex at uh, Sonoma, you know, if he still feels like, you know, a little reluctant to move up because he certainly figured it out and doing well. And he's had that to, to shoot for, you know, and it's it's made him a better rider, clearly. Yeah, I just think that they, you know, you have to just keep doing things with guys who are better than you until you get to the point where you're the very best. I mean, and there's only one or two of those um, and everybody else is left frustrated, but the frustration, you know, it, it it's quelched a little bit by the fact that you got to sit back and realize how much you're learning and that you want to be one of those guys. It's like, if I ride bicycles with people that are slower than me, it doesn't do me any good. When I go ride bicycles with guys that are stronger than me, I'm like, God, I want to be that guy. I want to be there. And I want, you know, yeah. and the only way I can do it is by riding more, riding harder, or maybe eating different and maybe, you know, not drinking a six pack of beer every night and a bottle of wine. But, <laughs> but there's, and then, and then there's some point when you realize, okay, how much fun do I want to have versus how hard do I want to work? Well, those guys really, it, it's all in front of them. I mean, they, it, Benjamin Smith's a perfect example. He can see what Bobby Fong does. He can see what Hayden Gillum does and he can either do it now or he can do it later if he works hard enough and he thinks he can actually get there but i mean at least it's nice to have the the target there that you can see because otherwise if you're at the front you don't know what's the next target you move up in class to find out obviously but you don't know and you know the 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 ultimate position to be in is to be the top superbike guy in the country and you know your target is just keeping guys away from you and you know yeah, and you know, on that note, I mean, we're getting close to the end here, but I wanted to bring up something. So this is kind of out in left field a little bit, but you made me think a little bit about when we had our podcast with Jeff May, and Jeff had said, you know, no apologies for being in that in Stock One Thousand, and you know, we said, well, it certainly gives Andrew Lee and Michael Gilbert and Stefano Mason and T Travis Wyman, a lot of those guys, a, a target. You know, a guy that's a former World Superbike rider and a factory Superbike rider in, in the U.S. Um, you know, so I had, was talking a little bit with Andrew Lee's dad, Eddie this week. And, you know, I was, I, I was discussing that and I had made that analogy about, you know, playing tennis with somebody better than you, just like you said, it makes you, it makes you inherently a little bit better or it makes you at least try harder. And, you know, Eddie said, you know, Andrew feels that way. Andrew definitely feels like, you know, I want to be a guy that obviously was a world superbike rider and whatnot. So here's a question I, I have for you, Paul. Early in, in January, I remember getting in touch with Chuck Graves because we didn't know what he was going to be doing, but we thought, you know, we could see he was getting involved a lot more with Kawasaki. And at the time, he said he wasn't really ready to talk about it too much. You know, he's promised us at some point he's going to come on our podcast, but we haven't heard too much about him lately, although he's very, very involved. Well, I shouldn't say not lately, but I mean, he hasn't been involved in Moto America, but he's heavily involved in AFM and, you know, Andrew Lee races for him. Valentin DeBeese races for him right now. It just feels like there's something cooking. And he claims, you know, I can sell a lot of product to people in AFM. That's my customer base. So if I can show them the success of my components and how we can build bikes, it's going to be better for us in that series. But we know who, we know who Chuck Graves is. We know what he wants to do. And 
I just, it, I'm just wondering about next year. And I, I asked, I asked again, I asked Andrew Lee's dad, Eddie, about it. Eddie said he doesn't know anything, but it feels like, I don't know, are Valentin DeBeast and Eddie and Andrew Lee going to be super bike riders next year for a Graves Kawasaki team? It's a crazy thought, but what do you, what do you think about that, Paul? Well, I would like to think that that's true. And I'd also like to think um, that I know, I don't know Chuck Graves that well, but I know Chuck Graves well enough to know that I think that he's very competitive. And I think he would like nothing more than to have a superbike team in Moto America that was successful. And he's shown before that he, you know, success in him from a team owner standpoint, um, go hand in hand. So I think he's, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily think he'd be doing everything that he's doing now just to sell parts at AFM. And I don't think, I don't I think he's yeah. probably as much as he's enjoying what he's doing now, I think he's doing the work for something that could be bigger. I don't think he's, I, I, he doesn't seem like that big fish in a little pond type of a guy to me. I think he'd like to swim in the big pond. Um, and right now, if, you know, it, it going to club races and stuff, I mean, that's got to feel like a little pond to him and he's used to swimming in a big pond and he's used to being successful in it. So, you know, I would love nothing more than to see that. And my fingers are crossed that somehow that could happen, but I could be also totally wrong. And he could be doing it for all the reasons that he, that he said that he's doing it. And that's to sell parts to, uh, to club racers and to track day guys. And, but that, I don't know, it seems like to me, you you know, making the step to Moto America Superbike would only lead you to sell more of those parts. It's not going to make you sell less. Yeah, you know, and I saw it, Valentin DeBeast at, at Laguna Seca. I don't know if you saw him too, but I spent a little bit of time talking to him and I was, I asked him, you know, straight out, like, does he know anything? Is there any promises made or anything? And he said, he said, he honestly said, no. I mean, I, I believe him when he, he, he said he kind of is like, weekend to weekend the way he works with with them and you know he's not really doing a lot of testing as he had been doing in the past for michelin so he seemed pretty game to well he definitely wants to get back in our series i know that and i i think he seems pretty much like boy it sure would be great to after this time i've put in with uh with graves you know in afm to uh get back in moto america and, and be on a kawasaki a graves kawasaki so did you did you see Valentin or get a chance to talk to him at yeah, all? Yeah, I actually it? talked to him for a few minutes with uh, when with Wayne there, and he was he was unbelievably complimentary of Chuck and that whole setup. I mean, all he kept talking about was how well they do things and how they move through the system and how they try things in, in the right order and they they just have a real plan in place when they go to the racetrack. And I could tell that he was he was really into that and, and really appreciate it. Cause I think, you know, I don't know him very well and obviously I haven't worked with him on that level, but he seems like the type of guy that has, that would like to have a plan that he worked through over the course of the weekend. So, um, yeah, he, I mean, I think he'd love to come back and he'd love to be on a super bike and he'd obviously love to be on a, on a Chuck Graves Kawasaki. But again, you know, we all want to do things just sometimes it's, it's it's hard, it's hard to get to the, to the finish line with that. Speaking of the finish line, we're about 50, we're 55 yes. minutes into this. So we've proven once again that we can talk a lot more without a guest than we can with one. <laughs> no doubt about yeah. it. Yeah, I think it was a good one too. I think we talked about some good things we, we, and we didn't get to some things we'd like to, but um, 
save it for another time. But uh, I think we had a good discussion about a lot of things. And um, next week is Sonoma. Yeah, hopefully so, we didn't yeah. bore the crap out of people. And hopefully um, more than anything, <laughs> I'd like to see every single person that listens to this show up at Sonoma next week because the weather is going to be beautiful. That track is incredible to watch motorcycle racing on. You can go anywhere around the track. You're elevated. You're looking down in a natural valley. Uh, the racing is good. Maybe Cameron Bobier will slow down and wait up for everybody a little bit to make sure the superbike races are good, or maybe the other guys are going to step up. But either way, it's it's a wonderful place to go. You know, you're, we're doing these rever rides where where people can go on rever and and pick different destination. Pick will it be the same destination, but pick different routes from where they're coming to get to the track. Once they're at the track, there's going to be different rides that rever is putting together. There's motorcycle swap meets. There's going to be tons of old two strokes there and just all kinds of stuff going on. And, and I, I'd really like people that, uh, that haven't given it a try to give it a try. Cause it's, if you're going to go to one, that's, that's definitely a good one to go to just based on the location and, and the way the tracks laid out and, and all that stuff coming together. It's a, it's a pretty damn good weekend. I think what we're going to have to do is between the two of us, we're going to have to cover for the other guy so the, the other guy can go out into the paddock and go to the swap meet or look at the two strokes or some of the, you know, go, the, go to, the, to the Ducati thing. We're, we're going to be busy, but we're going to have to spell each other so, so we can all share in the experience that's going to be there. Yeah, I was going to tell you that I'm not going to be at the last race at Barber, but I don't have the heart. I'm going to have to go because uh, it's no, no, it's the, the, my, my dad, it's my dad's 50th anniversary of winning his world championship. And he's just been, he got invited to the Benelli factory to go to their big 50 year championship celebration wow. in Italy. And he's like, Oh, Paul, will you go with me? Well, it's the same weekend as Barber. So I can't go. But anyways, my, you're, you're not going, you're, you're going with yeah, you're going to be a barber. Don't worry. <laughs> I get panic in your voice. I not you've ever heard of Wally Pip? Oh yeah, yeah. Wally Pip, you know. Believe me, I'm not going to uh, Wally Pip know. you. Yeah, I didn't want to be Wally say? Pip, so I told my dad, "Look, I have to go cuz I don't want Sean Bice taking my job." So. <laughs> and he's like, "Sean Bice, is that the guy that thought I was I a 350 never... champion instead of a 250? I don't think he's going to take your job." <laughs> <laughs> exactly that guy can't even, doesn't even know what championship right, i let's won let's get out of here so, exactly. I'll, I'll see you next week all right